from the studios of KPCW in Park City, it's This Green Earth, a weekly talk show about the environment and our relationships with it. I'm Chris Cherniak. And I'm Claire Wiley. And in a game-changing announcement in April 2023, Park City Community Foundation's Climate Fund revealed a resolute goal to fully divert food waste from Summit County's landfill by 2030. The Climate Fund will soon be entering its action phase, collaborating with key partners across Summit County and Park City. E.E. Shu, a board member and member of the Climate Fund Steering Committee, along with Climate Fund Manager Andy Hecht, is going to be joining the show this morning. Then, broadening the scope to a global scale, we'll speak with Danielle Nirenberg, president of Food Tank. Food Tank is a research and advocacy organization that highlights how food and agriculture could be a solution to some of our most pressing environmental problems. All that and some news about a unique semi-renewable energy project going on down in the Delta. Utah will replace a retiring coal fire electric generation station with one powered partly by hydrogen. Environmental awareness and education, that's what This Green Earth is all about. Stay with us. Welcome to This Green Earth, a weekly talk show about our relationships with and impacts upon the environment. I'm Chris Chernia. And I'm Claire Wiley. And this morning, we are welcoming in the studio Park City Community Foundation's board member, E.E. E. Shu. E.E. E. is also on the Climate Fund Steering Committee and will also be speaking with Climate Fund Manager Andy Hecht. Uh, thank you both for being with us in studio, no less. We love having you here, especially live. So I think first, uh, just to kick this all off, let's take it back to the origins of the Climate Fund. What is it? How did it begin? And uh, where are we at now? Well, good morning, Claire. Good morning, Chris. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to share our news with the Screen Earth and with the community uh, here in Park City. Uh, Park City Community Foundation, our mission is really to address the most difficult and complex and challenging issues here in Park City in our community. As you know, we address issues with early childhood and affordable housing. You've heard a lot about that this year. Well, climate has been one of our cornerstone funds and projects as well, and that began in 2019. Um, why? Why climate? Well, it's because this is what our community wants. Our community is concerned about climate. We live here because we we breathe and live the environment. We love the nature and we love the outdoors. In 2019, um, the Climate Fund was mostly a fund, a grant-making organization, and so we worked with many of the nonprofits uh, in the community uh, on several different projects. Um, but we decided that really we wanted to have greater and a big impact. Um, so this spring, after consulting with a number of experts in the community, as well as outside of the community, we decided that um, strategically we were going to work on one ambitious goal. And that goal is zero food waste by 2030. We're super thrilled about it. We started in the summer, we embarked on a strategic, a strategic planning process and we finalized that. Andy has been instrumental mm. in, um, and, and the rest of the steering committee, they've been instrumental in getting this off the ground. Um, we had some great consultants working with us and we're excited to share the details with, of it with you today. Excellent. So, Andy, can you tell us uh, just how um, you're kicking this off, how this is beginning with your strategic plan? Tell us these first steps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I want to echo EE's uh, gratitude to be here. Thank you so much for giving us this voice. Um, we're part of the community. We're the Community Foundation. Uh, we tackle these huge challenges, and we've been looking at climate for quite some time now. Um, as EE mentioned, we settled on food waste. Um, that's right when I became involved in the project. Um, the experts said to make the biggest impact, look at what's going on with your landfill. Look what's going in there. Look what's happening while it's there. Um, and you can do something about this. Uh, so I got involved and we started looking at this and we're like, wow, this is very impactful. Um, what the food waste is doing, what's going on. So we made a big, bold uh, and claim last year in April uh, in a big event we held to say we are going to tackle eliminating food waste from entering our landfill by 2030. And that is Summit County wide. Um, once we put that flag out there, now we went to the planning stage. And we wanted to make sure that we 
did what we needed to do to plan how to get there. We didn't want to just take action and run forward, um, but really spend time understanding the complexities of this and what it will take to reach this amazing goal of eliminating food waste from the landfill by 2030. Uh, so we reached out to other experts that had strategic planning uh, built in, and we received plenty of really, really good applications. Uh, we settled on uh, Ben McAdams, uh, former Congressman Ben McAdams, and his partner Troy McKinley, uh, who helped us develop this plan that will lead us to 2030. And, and I'd love to give a stat to everybody who's listening because, you know, again, why zero food waste? We talked to Tim Loveday at the Summit County Landfill, and for all of the listeners out there, and, and many of you probably already know this statistic, but 80% of the solid waste that reaches our local landfill can be diverted, 80%. Um, and 40 to 60% of that, uh, that's organic waste. So that is food waste that could be diverted I mean, if you think about that, 50, you know, 40 mm -hmm. to 60 percent of what's going into our landfill every single day, every single year can be diverted. Um, that is tremendous. And that landfill is, is filling up. And there's been talk about how we need to open up a new cell. In fact, mm -hmm. that was in the news recently. Mm -hmm. Right. And they um, I think they deferred that. Right. But mm -hmm. that's coming. Um, it's coming. And it's just a matter of time. Right. So, so we're trying to delay. Yes. Build, as best possible, the building of a, uh, of a new cell. So given that, let's talk about where this waste comes from. What are, what are the primary sources of food waste in our community? Uh, any, any place food is produced, uh, processed, and consumed. Uh, there's uh, from Main Street Park City, from our homes, from our grocery stores, from the banquet halls, from the hotels. Uh, all across schools. the schools schools absolutely okay mm -hmm. so so lots of different sources of waste that you're saying right now the majority of it the vast majority of it uh, ends up in our landfill mm -hmm. and so here and and why is that bad so it's bad for I would say a couple different reasons okay. um, number one is as EE said our landfill is filling up yep. uh, that's a very expensive ordeal that mm -hmm. we're dealing with uh, we were going to have to build a new cell this year. The county has put it off till next year, but that price tag is coming soon. So eliminating uh, 40 to 60% of what's going into that landfill is going to extend the life of something that is incredibly expensive. Uh, but more importantly, and to my heart of this, is what the food does in the landfill itself. Mm -hmm. When you throw a banana peel into your trash, mm -hmm. a lot of people say throwing away. Well, that's not really away. That's going into a bin going into a truck, being dumped into a hole, and being filled with other refuse. Uh, that banana peel will never decompose and break down into uh, a usable product like soil. Um, what it does is it gets to the landfill and it rots and it produces methane. Uh, methane is a scary topic. Um, we, in our strategic plan, is we try to show how dangerous methane is. Mm -hmm. And the statistic we have is methane is 82 times more potent at capturing the sun's energy than CO2. So as a greenhouse gas, methane is 82 times stronger than CO2 alone. Right. Well, that banana peel in that landfill is doing that. And if the landfills on Earth were a nation in of itself, it would be the third largest methane producer on Earth only behind U.S. and China, if the landfills were a nation of itself. Right. So here we are, we're trying to keep the landfill from filling up, saving money for the community. But again, more importantly, and to my heart, is we are trying to keep methane out of the environment. We take that food waste, divert it to a processor, and that processor can handle it in different ways, but ultimately at the end of that process, we have something that can be reused in our society. It's not filling up, it's not producing methane, and we're capturing the energy that it took to make that food in the beginning. Right, and, and just to be clear that there are landfills around the country that will take that banana peel and other organic matter. The methane that's generated within those landfills is captured, uh, and then that methane actually becomes a, a, a fuel source. It, it can be burned mm -hmm. uh, to provide heat or, or generate some power. But again, our landfill in Summit County doesn't have that 
uh, system in place. Uh, it's very expensive to, to design and construct and, and operate. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure in case people are out there saying, well, let's just capture the methane and burn it. Well, it's not as easy as that. Uh, that costs a lot of money. And you can see that the county already is faced with challenges simply trying to build an additional cell. Uh, so that's, that's the reason why we're not doing that. So, so okay, so methane, uh, yes, uh, greenhouse gas, among other things. And so there's, there's opportunities, like you say, Andy, to take that banana peel and, the, and that apple core and other waste material and divert it mm -hmm. to processors that actually, actually in, in a sense, generate methane in a, in a controlled circumstance, digesters. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of jumping in. Chris, Chris, I, I, I love this topic, and I can get so into the weeds of we the got, processes and, and what's going on. <laughs> Uh, but to, the way I look at it, the, the way it's easiest to understand is the processes can consist of two different processes. One is aerobic and one is anaerobic. Okay. So with the oxygen, one's without the oxygen. Uh, we do have a, a, a really neat facility down by North Salt Lake that is an anaerobic digester. That food waste can go in there. Uh, the methane can be captured. Uh, once you refine it, I believe uh, over 92% uh, refinery of methane is natural gas. That's what you burn in your homes. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people have on their stoves. Mm -hmm. So, yes, burning that, it does release CO2, right? That's not great, but it's a whole lot better than putting something 82 times more potent than CO2 into our atmosphere. So that's one process. That's the anaerobic digestion. Um, other process, which uh, we have uh, one here locally in Summit County, is the aerobic digesting, and that is your standard compost pile. Um, done on an industrial scale, it looks a little bit different than your compost in your backyard, uh, but it's essentially the same process. Uh, the methane is, um, the decomposition process does release CO2, but no methane in that process. But it all means that both of these processes are better than having that banana mm -hmm. peel end up in our landfill. Right. I, I'd like to touch upon um, the list that Andy had mentioned earlier, the list of all of the organizations or businesses that produce the food and mm -hmm. produce the food waste. Because the reason why um, Park City Community Foundation feels like we're well situated to um, organize this effort or I guess facilitate this goal of zero food waste is because we are well situated as a convener um, between government and businesses and all the nonprofits. So. You know, we're, we're not doing this on our own. We're doing this in collaboration with our resorts. We're doing it in collaboration. We're aligned heavily with, the, with government goals. And we're going to bring along all of our nonprofits and our entire community along towards this um, zero food waste goal. So I just wanted to mention that because, you know, Andy did a great job of rattling off all of these different organizations. But it is going to take everybody in our community to reach this goal. And you've created this strategic plan to do this. You have several objectives to meet this and ways in which you're going to measure your success. I'm curious, though, how, of course, aside from this green earth, you're getting the word out and you're educating people and, and how they're learning what their part is in all of this. Well, we are just getting started. The strategic plan is finalized. We are working on our operational implementation plan and communications. Communication and building awareness in our community is of the cornerstone of that. So this is all about getting our community activated. We have an, a wonderful communications team out there who's probably listening to this interview <laughs> at, at this very moment, mm -hmm. and they're working on a comprehensive plan. But trust us, we're going to get the word out. We have a goal. One of our biggest goals this year is to have a 1,000 residential homes within the greater Park City area signed up for residential composting. So. For everybody who's out there listening, I know you are strong advocates for the environment, um, and I know you've been waiting for composting in in Summit County and Park City. Well, starting, is it April 1st? April Andy? 1st. April 1st, we, it's going to be available. We're okay. going to start signups for that in April 1st, on April 1st. April Fool's Day. <laughs> and it's it not going to be, be April Fool's. It can't be the second. <laughs> okay. All right, so, so, so stay tuned. You know, yes. um, so let's talk about then the the overall objectives of the program and how you're going to measure success. Because let's be honest, zero is very aspirational, <laughs> right? Uh, but why not? 
you know, instead of say 10 or, or 20 or something. But let's talk about the overall objectives of the program. How, how's it going to work? The strategic plan outlines three big areas that we are working in. Um, one is that uh, reducing and diverting food waste. So mm -hmm. that's the hauling, the infrastructure, getting bins to everyone's house, hauling, uh, finding space in the restaurants to change behaviors to have another bin for food waste to go into. Um, the next is what do we do with that food waste? Once we have that whole infrastructure and we're hauling it, well, that's a lot of flow. I mean, like we said, that's 60% of, 40 to 60% of what was going into our landfill now going someplace else. Where is that someplace else? Uh, so processing, uh, creating capacity in the current processors and making sure we're dealing with it the, the, the proper way. And then, Chris, as you mentioned, it, measuring. Uh, you can't manage what you can't measure. Right. And getting to 100% diverted food waste is a very ambitious goal. Um, the only way we can get there is by measuring this and understanding the metrics of what's going on. Um, and again, stay tuned, but that April 1st date, uh, we will have our da live dashboard up on our website that shows diversion rates, uh, space in the landfill, uh, a lot of metrics be tracked in close to real time. Okay. Is it... Um is Tim Loveday in the landfill going to be participating in trying to uh, quantify what's coming into his place? Or is Republic <laughs> Services or other waste haulers going to be assisting in this program in some fashion? Yes, absolutely. First of all, let me tell you, Tim Loveday is an unsung hero of Summit County. Um, he is the, the landfill manager for Summit yeah. County. He is uh, absolutely incredible at what he does and just sending out huge props to him. Uh, trucks go over his scale he knows better than anyone what's coming in where it's coming and what's happening to it um, so yes we get metrics from him uh, we'll get metrics from our hauler hauling company um, we have used data in other sources to come up with uh, estimated figures mm -hmm. and uh, down the road it might make more sense uh, you know, two, three years down the road to get another what we call waste characterization study mm -hmm. to make sure our numbers are as accurate as possible. Right, because like you say, you, you, you have to understand where you are today mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the amount of food waste that's going into the landfill and maybe what types of food waste. So you got to have a baseline mm -hmm. to work off of. So you have an understanding of that? Right? Yeah, we do. The Both the city and the county uh, separately have commissioned waste characterization studies. These are um, incredibly resource-heavy, expensive, not pretty studies of right. what the effluent flow of our society looks like. Um, one was done in 2019 and the other one was done in 2021. Um, and most of our immediate facts and figures we present in our strategic plan are coming out of those two uh, waste characterization studies. And in your research and all that, this buildup, what were some of the things that you found to maybe be the most troubling or where do you see the most promising areas? Um, so Hmm, which order? Um, the most. Let's start with troubling and then go yeah, to the, the positive. <laughs> the troubling is when you really get into the, the details, the nitty gritty, the granular level of all the sources of food waste. And uh, at the beginning of the show, I, I rattled off a bunch of different areas the food waste is generated from. But there's a unique issue in our community. We are a tourist driven economy. We have lots of nightly rentals, lots of Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. And that is a challenge. Uh, getting in there, changing behaviors um, for someone who's in a vacation mode, who comes from a different uh, uh, environment they live in where they might have amazing compost, but it might be the process might be light, a little different. Mm -hmm. They might be coming from some place that has no compost. And the whole concept of putting food waste in a bin is very weird to them. Um, so dealing with that aspect, that's, that's a challenge. Mm. Um, some of the, the, the the positives the the one I'm looking forward to are there are so many programs out there that are already running the school uh, the the school district is really working hard to do composting mm. um, and just a little help there can go a long long way uh, there's some other nonprofits that are food rescue programs some of our food waste that are generated come from some of these large uh, um, banquet halls the con uh, convention centers where 
you know, if not all that food is eaten, it's still good food, but it doesn't have a place to go. There are nonprofits that will come not only take that food, divert it from our landfill, but it's also being taken to where people need it. And it can be used at that point. Yeah, and let's not forget what's happening on Park City Mountain with all of the food diversion. I, mean, I think Alex was just in here talking mm -hmm. about uh, mountain dining and what they're doing. And everybody who skis up there will see it. They have employees there sorting all of the, the food waste and the trash. Um, I'm really optimistic. I'm really optimistic that our community will rally around this thousand home goal. And, and the thousand homes is just so that we get enough um, enough demand so that we can scale even larger than 1,000 homes. We're not stopping at 1,000 homes this year. We obviously want a zero food waste goal. We have that goal by 2030. So this is just our first step. Um, and so I'm optimistic about that. And I'm optimistic that this can be a great case study and a great best practice for a lot of our mountain communities around the Mountain West and throughout the nation. I mean, I think we can build something that other people can can learn from and build their own program. So, you know, we, we don't want to stop just within Greater Park City. Um, this will be something that can be shared, you know, through MT Mountain Towns 2030. It can be mm -hmm. shared through um, a consortium that community foundations have. So we're excited about and that. And I love how Park City does situate themselves as a leader in these areas. And we tend to step up and say, we are going to shoot for a big goal as Chris said it's a mighty goal yeah. um, but I think that we do that as a community and we only have a couple more minutes left and uh, talking about the education part of it where can people go right now to get a greater understanding of this strategic plan and what their part might be in it the strategic, the strategic plan is on our website, which is parkcitycf.org. Um, I just want to touch upon what you just said, Claire. I mean, mm -hmm. Park City, we have been a leader in climate. Um, our city set that goal of net zero by 2030 way back, I think it was a 2015. Um, it's, it's been amazing. We've been a leader amongst, I think that day might, might, might be wrong, but we have been a leader in the climate space. Um, for many years now. And I think that's something that everybody should be proud of. And we're excited to get everybody on board to accomplishing that goal. Um, Andy, more information, where can they, aside from the website? The website will host all the information, um, www.parkcitycf.org slash climate fund. And you'll have access to when the dashboard comes live, the strategic plan right now, and all the updates will be there. And, and I, again, yeah, this is probably, you know, stay tuned type of answer, but a, a thousand homes, uh, I sign up, I'm a homeowner, I'll sign up, and then my food waste will have some way of being diverted from the landfill, just generally? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Can I, if I'm a renter, is that, is this open to renters too? Yes. Okay, so the opportunities are there, and, and businesses. Yes. I mean, you call it a thousand homes, but... What if I'm a business? Is that another program? We're tackling residential homes okay. right now, and we're going to be working on commercial in tandem. Yeah, but one, one thing at a time? Right. Okay. So that's, again, that's April 1st. Stay tuned. Yes. And that gets so tell up. your neighbors, right. have those conversations, tell your friends and family. Um, this is coming. We're excited. Well, we're excited, too. We we're, we're, uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time. To, to join us this morning on this screen. Or again, one more time, the website for people to, to learn more. Park City CF, as in community foundation.org. Park City CF.org. Thank right. you so much for having us. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So it's E.E. E. Shu, who is on the steering committee for the Climate Fund, as well as a board member at the Park City Community Foundation, and Andy Hecht, who is the Climate Fund Manager with the Park City Community Foundation. Thank you so much for coming in this morning and enlightening us more about these projects that we all need to take seriously in this community, and I hope we all get on board. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, let's take a break for a couple of underwriters. When we come back, we'll actually continue the conversation in the area of food waste. And we're going to talk uh, with Daniel, Danielle Nirenberg, president of Food Tank. And I, she's here in town? Uh, she will be in town soon. Right. Uh, we have her uh, coming to us across Zoom this morning. Right. However, uh, they are going to be joining us uh, with Food Tank at Sundance. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. Stick with us right here on This Green Earth. Welcome back to This Green Earth, a weekly talk show about our relationships with and impacts upon the environment 
I'm Chris Cherniak. And I'm Claire Wiley. And we are uh, thrilled to welcome this morning to our show, Daniel Nirenberg, who is the president of Food Tank. Now, Food Tank is a research and advocacy organization that highlights how food and agricultural could be a solution to some of our most pressing environmental problems. And uh, Danielle, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you so much, Chris and Claire. Happy to be here. Well, let's start first with a little bit about your background. So tell us about you and how and why you created Food Tank. Oh, thank you so much. So I have always been interested in, in, in the environment. I was a Peace Corps volunteer a million years ago and uh, worked for a long time at an environmental think tank in Washington, D.C. But my co-founder and I, when we were uh, working in the mid-2000s, we really we're seeing so much hope and inspiration across the globe, especially in the global south. And we wanted to start an organization that instead of, you know, sort of focusing on the gloom and doom as many environmental organizations at that time did, we really wanted to focus on what was working on the ground and, and you know, highlight those, those, those organizations and individuals that are inspiring others and have a lot of uh, ability to uh, scale up and out in different ways and impact many, many people. So specifically, what does Food Tank then uh, do? Is it a place that you can go online to learn more? Do you travel around or how do you get this message across and where? In as many different ways as possible, we really think of Food Tank as a platform for the food and agriculture movement. I do a lot of speaking around the world. Um, I just got back from uh, COP28 in, in Dubai, where we were looking at the impacts of, of climate change on food and agriculture issues and had about 30 different panels where we were talking to experts from around the world. We'll be, at, during Sundance, we ha are having a food tank summit uh, where we'll be bringing uh, a, a lot of different films uh, to uh, be viewed by uh, you know folks who are already there viewing all of the great films during Sundance, but to really focus on food and environment issues and 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 focus on individuals who are making a big impact. Um, we have a website at foodtank.com where we're publishing daily news stories from around the world. Um, we convene uh, events on Capitol Hill and and try to really show that these these issues around food and agriculture, whether it's access and affordability or the environmental impacts of food production, that they're bipartisan issues, that they shouldn't uh, be politicized. So we try to do as, as much as possible to really inform eaters. All of us have to eat, right? So how can we make sure that people have as much information uh, to make decisions as possible? Okay, so you said access and affordability. So let's chat a little bit about that. What are the, uh, the challenges associated with access and affordability uh, around the world? Where is it most prevalent? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we experience it, of course, in the United States. There are many places that are affected by what is called food apartheid, mm -hmm. where these mm -hmm. are, are places that have been sort of underserved and, and marginalized because of inherent racism or uh, economic status. And so, you know, making sure that every kind of eater, wh wherever they live, has access to healthy, affordable, and delicious food. Obviously, in the global south, especially places like Sub-Saharan Africa, there is a, a lot of, of hunger and malnutrition. But again, what, what we try to do is, is focus on the solutions to those problems. And that's, you know, um, helping farmers uh, increase their access to things like extension services or better kinds of, of seeds and different kinds of sustainable practices that will help them uh, you know, improve their yields and improve their incomes. In the United States, it's, it's shining a spotlight on those community groups that are fighting for food access and affordability and, and making sure that, you know, things like community gardens are available or that they, uh, you know, people know how to access government uh, programs like SNAP, SNAP or WIC that will help them, uh, you know, be able to, to maintain food security within their households. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that term food apartheid. Um, also, I've heard the, the word food desert uh, where uh, there's just a lack of supermarkets or markets for in some communities, full service communities. Here, uh, Danielle, when you come to Park City, you will see just the opposite. You will witness a food jungle. Uh, <laughs> if I want to use the, the obverse of that. We have five full service supermarkets here in roughly a, a what, 10 mile radius of uh, Park City. Um, if there's anything, 
we have the opposite problem. We have a, uh, an abundance of food waste. And that's a, that's a big challenge, too, trying to manage food waste, uh, maybe try to divert it uh, to other sources that can uh, take advantage of it uh, and, and try to keep it out of our landfills. So, you, so do you work in that area, too? Yeah, food waste has been a really important issue for food tanks since we began about 10 years ago. And, you know, we, we if you look at the issue of food waste, if food waste were a country itself, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. But what's really exciting to me about food loss and food waste is that there are so many solutions to it that mm -hmm. are low cost, that are easy to implement, um, and that can help us all, you know, uh, ha have better livelihoods, right? Uh, if a lot of food waste was diverted to um, to to those who you know are in need of food, if food that otherwise would be wasted, if it was you know donated to food banks or or other facilities where people could use it, we could reduce a lot of, of food waste. If retailers and manufacturers, you know, didn't have perfection standards, like mm. if a, cr a carrot was a little crooked. Um, or, or something that would be thrown away. If you can, you know, learn to love ugly fruits and vegetables, uh, that will help divert food waste. And I think, you know, for, for all of us as consumers, as eaters in our home, I think one of the biggest things we can do is sort of, you know, monitor how much we're buying, make sure that we're planning our, our meals every week so that we don't waste food. So much food waste happens in our own homes and we just kind of don't realize it. And that's not only food and the love and labor that went into growing and harvesting that food, but also, you know, it affects our, our, our wallets. That's a lot of, of money wasted if we, uh, if we, you know, put food in the bin instead of eating it. You really hit a nerve. You really hit a nerve with me when you talked about that food perfection. You go to some of these supermarkets and you see the, the fruits and vegetables lined up and, and displayed almost as if they should be at the Met you know, or right, MoMA, right. you know, and, and I actually talked to a guy who one day was going through a bin of apples or so, culling them, and I said, oh, you're just looking for bad ones? He's not, well, some bad ones, but also imperfect ones. So if they're not, if they're not the proper shape and not the right color, well, they won't sell because we have become so uh, demanding uh, in, in uh, having, wanting to see the the perfect fruit and vegetable as if that's even that's going to taste better uh, right. than, and so that that is really something we've got to change our behavior or change our uh, outlook towards sure and often when we're talking about those ugly fruits and vegetables people find that they they taste better than the perfect looking <laughs> ones they don't taste like a cardboard apple they actually taste like they you know uh, that, that they have flavor and that yeah. they came from somebody who cared about what they were growing. I also think that, you know, when you're talking about supermarkets, we, we as consumers are used to abundance, those huge piles of apples and oranges and other fruits and vegetables. And that can cause food waste in and of itself mm. by sort of compressing the vegetables or fruits at the bottom mm. and making it, you know, necessary to throw them away. Yeah, and I think that gets back to, too, when you talk about this abundance of food, Chris, and, and things aren't mm. perfect. Uh, food Tank does talk a lot about equity in our food mm. and what roles race and gender play in our food system. Can you touch more on that and, and some of the things that Food Tank is doing to uh, get that message across and what that means to have equity in the food system? Yeah, to have equity in the food system, that means, you know, kind of what I, I mentioned before, that everyone can have access and afford healthy, delicious food that will help nourish their bodies and, and make their communities better. And what we've seen, you know, in the United States because of institutionalized racism and, and, and colonialism, that many communities in the United States, it's not that they they don't want to eat good food, it's just because they can't. You mentioned that, you know, Park City has a plethora of, of, of supermarkets. Mm -hmm. There are many communities where the only uh, source of food that they have access to is like a pharmacy, like a CVS mm. or a liquor store. And, and often or the options- Or a dollar store. Food, Sorry, Daniel. Right? Or a dollar, or a dollar store. store. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, it's great that you mentioned dollar stores um, and because they are trying, they're, they, right. they have uh, a sustainability director for the entire company, one person mm. who's really right. in trying to improve what dollar stores have to offer because they are so prevalent in, in um, you know, economically disadvantaged uh, neighborhoods. And so how can you improve what they are selling so that people can have access to fresh fruits and vegetables or minimally processed foods, foods that aren't ultra 
uh, processed and contain a lot of, you know, sodium or high fructose corn syrup. So, you know, th these are these are issues that really affect a, a large um, uh, a large population of Americans who, you know, would like to to eat better but just don't have the the means to do so. And I think another issue that's really something that we've tried to highlight is you can create uh, an environment where there are, are you know enough supermarkets or enough farmers markets but if people don't know how to cook these foods right if they don't have the the ability to do so if they don't have working stoves or refrigerators yeah. or you know pots and pans you know we need a lot more food education and we need people to have living wages so that they can afford these things there are so many things to unpack about what you just said. Um, we are speaking with Danielle Nuremberg, who is the president of Food Tank, a research and advocacy organization highlighting how food and agriculture could be a solution in some of our most pressing environmental pros, uh, problems. And getting back to that, you said that you were just at COP28. Can you discuss more about that main messaging about climate and the food system and what you gleaned from uh, what what it looks like for our future in that area through COP28? Absolutely. So uh, the, the COP28, the climate change conference from the United Nations takes place every year. This was the 28th one. Mm -hmm. And for, um, for the first time, really, food and agriculture had a, a really tremendous focus. There were numerous food and agriculture pavilions. If you go back just three years ago, there were none. Um, so we've, we've made a lot of progress in, in making sure that uh, the international community understands the role of food and agriculture, and not only as a as a cause of the climate crisis, but also as a solution. So I came away from the climate change conference, COP28, very energized, feeling like we we finally have a lot of momentum as as people who are interested in in food and agriculture to to make change and 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 really. Uh, help the international community, those those uh, governments and and delegates and ministers of agriculture and ministers of health really understand how how food can be a solution to some of the the things that we're seeing, whether it's you know the climate crisis, our biodiversity loss crisis, or our public health crisis. That food, you know, if we are managing in our food systems, our food and agriculture systems in a way that is holistic and sustainable that they can really help, you know, do things like sequester carbon in soils and create uh, really healthy soils that will uh, last for generations, that they can help preserve water resources, that they can protect pollinators and birds and other species, that they can really do things that, you know, we want our food systems to do, including making sure that we all have um, uh, the ability to eat what we want and, 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 and get nourishment. So let's, Let's talk about a little more complicated uh, area of food, and, th and that's the meat industry. And we know that the meat industry, you know, beef, cattle, dairy, poultry, et cetera, uh, are, can be quite huge contributors to greenhouse gases and, and other environmental issues, waste uh, matter for that, for that matter. Um, are there are, do you how do you take that on how do you tackle that in light of the fact that hey there are many societies and cultures that rely on meat as, as a, 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 you know part of their sustainable diet too absolutely this is such a complex issue right. i think you know if we look at, at you know the the global situation there are uh, places in the world where we could stand to you know eat a little less meat and i'm talking about places like the united states yes. and other places in the global north and there are certainly places in the world where populations would benefit from eating more animal products mm. in, in terms of, of you know protein like right. eggs and and fish and and uh even beef and so i i think what we need to do is start looking at this as you know um something that like uh, I think communities all over the world have done for generations, which is look at meat as a complement to the meal, not at the center of the plate. Right. Look at it as something that's flavorful that can add, uh, you know, nutrients and protein, but all but is you know surrounded by vegetables and 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 grains and other things. And I, you know, if you look at it, sort of the global livestock sector, um, livestock contributed about fourteen percent um, of all global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so if, if we can reduce what we're eating as rich countries or as people who, you know, have the, the luxury of eating what we want every day, then we can sort of make a dent in, in, 
in in those greenhouse gases. But I think the other thing is to remember that you know we we don't have to entire. I, I don't want people to feel like they have to give up meat because they don't. We don't want people to feel deprived. It's just rethinking the meat you eat, rethinking where it comes from, who raised it, how much of it you eat every week, mm -hmm. and and you know sort of the the benefits that regenerative. Uh, uh, livestock practices and organic livestock practices can have the, the benefits that they can have for communities. Factory farms are very polluting. They're often very smelly. Um, again, this is an, uh, an example of, of racism. They're often placed in communities that don't have the ability to sort of fight them off, right? Um, and so, you know, if you can improve the way that, that animals are raised and eaten, then you can improve a, a lot of different things, including community health. When we did actually do a show about local farmers that were getting into regenerative farming and what that means and how it's good for the soil. Um, but I am curious, as you've traveled extensively and you've gone around to different countries, is there something you've drawn from another country that you'd like to see implemented on a broader level that you thought was a great idea or a, a great way to um, stave off climate change? I mean, I think it's community by community. No country has really taken this on in, in, a, in a way that I can say, oh, this is the sh shining example. What I can tell you is that there are communities that are, um, you know, revitalizing their agriculture by returning to indigenous and traditional practices. They're bringing back those traditional crops like millets and sorghums and, and uh, other crops that are not just you know nutritious and can be delicious, but also uh, really help fight the climate crisis and uh, you know prevent disease and pests and and really improve the resilience of communities overall. And this is happening in places like Mali and in and Nigeria and in Ethiopia, places that you wouldn't necessarily think. You know they have often sort of a you know we have a preconceived notion of what's happening in these countries, but there are communities in each of these places and elsewhere that are really, you know, focusing on indigenous and traditional crops and, and uh, as a way to, to improve that resilience that I talked about and also improve their economies. And I think those two things really have to go hand in hand. So let's turn to the Food Tank Summit that's coming here to Park City in Sundance. Let's talk a little bit about that. We're really excited. We'll be at Park City Brewing on Saturday, uh, January 20th from 10 a.m. until 10 p.m., highlighting a bunch of great food films from people like uh, celebrity chef Susan Feniger. Uh, we'll uh, have a, a, a screening of a series called Wild Hope that really focuses on stories of conservation. Mm -hmm. um, we'll have a screening of the great film uh, Common Ground, uh, from the organization Kiss the Ground, who really focuses on regenerative agriculture, uh, and, and just a lot of great discussions with people like Kimball and Christiana Musk. Uh, Kimball just came out with a new cookbook. Christiana has a, a chapter in the book uh, that will accompany uh, Food Inc. 2, uh, which uh, came out last year. Um, but she, she writes a lot about what we were just talking about, how to make meat more sustainable. So, uh, we'll have a lot of chefs, uh, my good friends, uh, Blue Adams, who's native uh, to to Utah, and Adrian Lipscomb from Austin, Texas, will will be uh, there sharing uh, recipes and 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 meals. It's going to be a, just a wonderful event, and and we hope people can join us. And again, it's at Park City Brewing. They've been an amazing partner in all this, really helping us plan this event and 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 make sure that we can source really wonderful food and drinks for everyone. And you were here last year as well. And how did you uh, think the reception was and, and why do you think that it's so important to have these types of activities that get people involved uh, in, in several different ways, but also this educational component? I think culture is such an important part of what Food Tank does. Uh, on the one hand, we're a very nerdy organization, you know, highlighting those problems and solutions and, and different organizations and in individuals that I talked about earlier. But we also try to really highlight things that will involve, you know, 
people who aren't that interested in food and agriculture, how do we draw them in? I think film is a wonderful way to do that. Conversation is a wonderful way to do that. Showing, you know, they can they can see uh, these experts talk about, you know, different kinds of foods on 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 film and then eat them and experience them. I just think it's a wonderful way to connect people. We were overwhelmed by the response we received last year by participating. Um, uh, uh, you know, during Sundance uh, uh, and having our own event. And it's just wonderful to be able to come back to this community where so many people are coming from all over the country and all over the world and, and really focus on food and agriculture. And, and I think it gives people sort of a break of the, the, the craziness that is Sundance, the wonderful craziness that is Sundance and, and gives them a break and, and where they can talk to people who are like-minded or talk to people they don't agree with, which is, is sort of the, the uncomfortable space I think Food Tank can sit in mm. and, and have, uh, you know, learn a lot, ask questions and, and maybe come away with a different perspective. And we only have a, a couple more minutes. I, I wanted to circle back to something, make sure that I, I didn't mean to be disparaging of companies like a dollar store or something, uh, because let's be honest, in the absence of a, a community having a dollar store, there's nothing because larger chain uh, supermarkets have decided not to put a store there. So dollar store has its role, but I think you you alluded to it. Danielle, that, you know, they have a sustainability director. They're doing what they can and they could do better in, like many supermarkets can do. Yeah, so many companies can do better in this space. I feel like, you know, we talk about greenwashing a lot. I feel like a lot of, of companies and retailers are green wishing. Yeah. There's a lot of things that they, they want to do and, you know, say that they're doing and they're trying to get there. But you can't have just one sustainability director for a company like uh, you know, Dollar General or any other company. You need people who are sort of in every office of a company working on these issues in tandem so that they're, you know, we can make, um, that, so that consumers ha can make different decisions, that they can, you know, include more healthy fruits and vegetables and, and uh, whole foods in, in their diets. And if they don't have that opportunity, we're not going to change the food and agriculture system or a health system in a way that's positive. And once again, Danielle, where should people go to learn more about Food Tank? They can go to foodtank.com. I'm also happy if they email me at danielle at foodtank.com. Well, we appreciate you coming on our show today yes. and enlightening us about some of the things that Food Tank is diving into and digging deep. There are a lot of different uh, ways in which your organization is working to help us yeah. move forward in our food systems. Yeah, and we'll see you again at uh, Park City Brewing Saturday night, did you say? Saturday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Thank you so much, Danielle. For joining Thank us. Thank you this. both. All right, we'll see you. All right, let's take a break for uh, another underwriter or two and come back. We got a couple of minutes for a news item. It's this Green Earth. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Tony Tyler with Columbus Pacific Development, a longtime supporter of KPCW. We are proud to partner with Summit County and the CVMA on Slopeside Village at Park City, the first of its kind employee housing development located next to the Cabriolet at Canyons Village. Designed to provide fully furnished and attainable units for locals in the workforce. Information at slopesidevillageparkcity.com. And we're back on This Green Earth. I'm Claire Wiley. And I'm Chris Cherniak. And we've got uh, a few minutes, and I have a news item. It's a really interesting project going on down in Delta, Utah. Now, uh, most of us know Delta, Utah, because that's the site of a very large coal-fired power plant there that's been there for decades. But it's being retired because actually uh, the majority of the electricity that's produced at the Delta plant goes to places like California. And, uh, and since California now has a mandate to uh, stop receiving electricity from coal-fired power plant, well, the Delta plant has run out of, kind of run out of uh, uh, suppliers. So it's retiring, but in its place is what's considered kind of a semi-renewable uh, energy project. It's a system that would produce hydrogen gas. So, and how is that hydrogen gas being produced? Well, it's being produced by solar and wind farms uh, mm. that are, uh, say, during the spring and during the fall, solar and wind are running and they're producing electricity, but they don't have as great a demand. So you're going to take that excess demand, 
produce hydrogen gas from that electricity, excess solar and wind farm electricity, mm -hmm. produce hydrogen gas, store that gas in caverns, salt dome caverns or so, beneath the ground in the delta area. And then during the winter and the summer when demand exceeds supply with respect to wind and farm, they're going to burn that hydrogen gas in combination with natural gas. Uh, so that's why I say it's semi-renewable. But hydrogen gas burns clean. When you burn hydrogen gas, you just produce water, H2O. Uh, primarily. Uh, so it's a really interesting project, uh, really unique, one of a kind. Um, it's going on, it's supposed to open, I believe, um, in 2025 or so. So that's on its way. That's down in Delta, Utah. Maybe we can find somebody with, uh, in, who's involved in the project to chat with them about the pros and cons of it, the challenges of it associated with it. Uh, but that's that's going on down there. And how far reaching can this be? Is well, it just it's it's a system that if the technology work, the engineering work, and you have to have a lot of things in place. You have to have the caverns to hold it. You have to, so you have to have mm -hmm. the geology to accommodate it. Hey, you just happen to be near a power plant already, so you have the grid system set up. So there's a lot of things that falls in place that allows this to work, where in other locations it might not work. But uh, it's a it's it's the beginning of a yet another idea to burn less fossil fuels as a whole. So. It's moving in a positive direction. Oh, yeah. That's what we do. That's what we try to <laughs> <laughs> push forward, Laugh. right? So, sorry, we're here. All right. That said, you. you can email us your thoughts, comments, and ideas for topics and stories you'd like us to cover to thisgreenearth at kpcw.org. And the good news is if you did miss the show or you want to listen again in case that there was something that you wanted to hear more about, well, the interviews for the show are going to be posted on KPCW's website that will happen later this afternoon. And thanks so much again for joining us here on This Green Earth. This is KPCW. We can be found at 91.7 FM in Park City. And here you can tune in and listen like a local. We're going into NPR News in just moments. And while we got a couple of seconds, we're not going to have a show next week, correct? Sundance. That is correct. It is. Sundance is, is sweeping through. Uh, yeah, don't come down Sweet Alley right now. It's a bit of a yeah. Sundance jungle. But uh, yeah, it's happening next week. So make sure you tune in for that. We're going to be talking movies, movies, and more movies here on KBCW. That's what we do. And we'll see you in two weeks. That's right. All right. Thanks again for joining us. NPR News is coming up.